Tisch hier. And so now uh, I will sit down here because it was really nice. It was very comfortable. You are all sitting down, so I can also sit. So I really like this. And also some people came to me and said, hey, Jobs, this is really cool. It's really nice to not have you run up and down the stage anymore, so we can just focus on one place. And then the uh, camera people, they came to me and they are really excited, saying, oh, it's so much easier now if you just remain at the table. Okay, so I'll just uh, stay uh, sitting here. But I won't promise I'll do it all the time, okay? So it's true, I've just come from Heidelberg. And it was a very special Veil of Silence seminar there, because it took place in a so-called personal church of the Lutheran Church. That's a Lutheran personal church that was started eight years ago. And really, the people there were so hungry, we saw people being touched, delivered, set free, the power of the Holy Spirit was there. I was so excited, but even more, I was excited about the pastor there. And I asked him, you know, how did you experience the power of the Holy Spirit? And then he said, well, in Tübingen, actually. I studied in Tübingen. I said, wow, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in your church in Tos. And I said, well, when was that? Oh, well, they, they didn't. you didn't have the tent then in, in Eisenmann Street. And I really had problems with the Holy Spirit. And that was the time of the Toronto blessing. And it was really wild in your services. And everything in me shouted, no, I don't want that. But at the same time, I was so hungry and so thirsty. And somehow I was attracted. I didn't want to, but then I came to the service. And then at some point, you made an altar call. You preached. And so I was there in the first row at the altar and then you prayed for me for the one the other person and they all fell in the spirit and then you stood in front of me and told me oh you don't want that and you just passed me by and you prayed for the others and they all fell in the spirit and then you came back to me and said do you want it now and I said yes and then you laid hands on me and I fell in the spirit I said wow it's so cool to see what the Holy Spirit's doing and so I'm really excited that even now you can see fruit of what happened then. And he is pastor of this lively church. They are accepted by the uh, state church in Baden. So that's very special. And that's a growing church. And because the other state churches are shrinking rather and have to uh, come uh, unite in one church, one church building actually got free. And so they can use that. Praise the Lord. He's good. The second thing is, right here at the beginning of my message, I would like to show you something. For everybody else who was uh, there last Sunday, you remember that uh, I had something here on my leg, a splint, and please Gunther, bring that. I was only able to walk with crutches, and I have this splint here. And the Charité in Berlin gave that to me. You know what the Charité is? It's a very famous hospital. Just lie it down there, put it down there. I don't want to have it. Just put them down there. I don't need them. They gave it to me in the Charité, because last Sunday I shared briefly, I had a torn muscle to weeks ago on Sunday at the March of Life in Berlin. I got that. As I said, it was uh, a foul by the devil on uh, on the attacker in the football game. But anyway, I was in pain. I had to go to hospital. And they examined me and they found that it was a torn muscle there. And so they treated it and I had these socks and this terrible splint and the crutches and I tried walking with that. 
and there was just no way. But that was about a week, I had to get used to that, I needed to live with it, but of course people prayed for me, over and over again, so you can't live in Toss without somebody jumping at you and praying for you, you know, there's no way you can escape that. So I was there um, and we had the after work lounge here with the guys over 40 and I decided to live very normal life, you know. And I kept preaching, and I really have to admit, my faith wasn't terribly great, I really have to be truthful, I wasn't a hero of faith. And so there were examinations, and the doctor then said, well, you need an MRT, you know what that is? You're put into a kind of a hollow thing, and then bit by bit you're taken to parts, and you see everything that you don't usually see. So Francisca's laughing, she knows, there's a few professionals here, but anyway, that's how I I put it. So everything is made visible, the sinews, the muscles, and so on. And then on Monday, I had this appointment with the doctor, and I thought, oh, finally, now I will know what it is. Okay. So I went to the doctor, and then you bring them the CD with the pictures that have been made, and the doctor looks at all those pictures, and then he looked at me, and he looked back to the pictures, and he said, well, Mr. Bittner, everything is all right, you know, the muscles, I don't see any problem there whatsoever. Uh, to really tell you, well, there is nothing wrong with your leg. And in me, there was something, he's not, he's not right, that's not true. I thought, almost like a disappointment, you know, oh, that can't be true, you know, I, I have, uh, there's pain. He said, Mr. Brittner, and then this doctor was almost like a healing evangelist, he said, now take off the splint, uh, what, and now give me those crutches. And so usually, you know, you do that with the word of God. We tell them the word of God and we pray the word and then the healing evangelists put away your crutches and walk on the truth of the word of God. But now I had a doctor here and he told me, Mr. Bittner, there's nothing wrong with you, take away your crutches. And I said, no. And so then I did take it off. I was obedient because there was nothing and I walked carefully. And then he said, well, walk normally, you know, don't be so stiff. And the Holy Spirit really convicted me. He said, yups, you are just so unbelieving. You of little faith. Because if the word of God is the truth, and now there is a doctor with real pictures and you don't believe it, so what is actually wrong in your thoughts? And I really am healed, praise the Lord. Now, for the past, I don't know how many days, I've been walking without these things. And God's a good God. Amen. And my friends, how much more is the word of God truth, you know? And there's a wonderful doctor there with his beautiful MRTs, but how much more the word of God? So what is actually going on in our thoughts? What do we believe and what do we not believe? And so then I started thinking about this in more detail, that actually our thoughts are the crucial thing to receive and believe what God has for us. And to prove this, I would like to read a word to you. This was just the introduction to my message. I could stand, but I want you to be able to relax and look at me directly. But let me read to you from John 20, verse 20. There we've got the story of Thomas that we've read so many times. Well, actually, he's called the unbelieving Thomas, but 
Let me read a few verses. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other, disciple, other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, so just think about these stories, you know, Thomas wasn't there when they came and the disciples were so excited, they come running, say, oh, we've seen the Lord, the risen one, and Thomas is there full of frustration, unbelief, I don't know what went on in his thoughts, but he says, this is not real. And then it takes one entire week, eight days. I don't want to know what went on in his thought for these eight days. Eight days, excited disciples who've seen Jesus, who are so over the top and happy and dancing and talking about all the details. And I imagine Thomas standing there, he is just pulled down more and more. His thoughts get deeper and deeper and he's an inward discussion and debates. He is dealing with this. And do we know that? Because our thoughts can really pull us down. And I think it's quite similar here as well. For eight days, eight days later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. And th though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. So we will keep looking at the text a bit more in a minute, but this is actually the key thing. The question is, what actually went wrong with Thomas? And so I am privileged uh, to have counseling with a few people and to deal with certain topics there. And one of the topics we're facing, I won't tell you with whom and how, anyone can uh, feel addressed here, but the main topic was fear. So I was dealing with fear, and in Germany, fear is a big thing, you know, German angst, how we're dealing with fear. And also, one thing is, what is the origin of fear? And so we've got some professionals here who might be able to explain this very well, but then I read that two in five people suffer from fear, every one in ten people is highly uh, influenced and limited by fear in everyday life, and they are in physical manifestations, sweaty hands, everything is like contracting inside. There's physical results in the entire body, but also their behavior is influenced. You withdraw, you avoid certain situations. And then I kept reading, and I saw, oh wow, that's interesting. Fear, cares, and worries is not produced by the situation itself, but rather, normally, fears and panic attacks are actually produced by our thoughts, what we make of situations. So it's not a ghost that like jumps at me from somewhere, like a dark, sinister power that I can't do anything against, but actually, it's a situation that situation produces certain thoughts, maybe sentences, phrases, associations, but these thoughts in me produce negative emotions. My body responds in a negative way, and that actually determines my actions. So actually something is happening in the thoughts. And so I could not get rid of that. I couldn't shake it off. If that happens to me, you know, I get to a doctor and I don't believe the doctor because in my mind I got used to the idea of running around with crutches for three weeks. I was actually wondering what's going on in the mind? What is, how is God seeing this? 
And so let's take a look at a few Bible passages. Genesis 2, verse 22 and 23. And so if you've got a Bible with you, you can open it up. I wasn't able to copy all of those verses, but it's actually quite nice looking it up in the Word itself. So Genesis 2... 22 and 23. There we go. If you had a Bible, you wouldn't be sitting there smiling, but you'd be looking it up yourself. So smile at the person next to you. Why don't you have a Bible with you, actually? Okay, there we go. So that gave me time to find my verse. Genesis 2, verses 22 and 23. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib Uh, actually, you could say from the uh, fibers, from the tissue he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And then the man said, this now is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And actually what he said, this is my tissue, this is my DNA, my life. And then he says, well, actually God breathes into man. He breathes into man. So we are created according to God's image, and first of all, we know God's a person. So that's not a big thing, but sometimes we don't even realize that. And the Bible speaks about God having hands and feet, a heart. He's got ears to hear. He smells the fragrant offerings that come up to him, so he's got a nose. Well, I, there's no other way, right? Because he created man in his image. So if I Im imagine God, I don't think just an ominous vapor somehow, but God is someone that is made visible in us. And at the same time, he's got creative thoughts. God has got thoughts, and his thoughts are creative. They are full of creativity. He's got imagination. The thoughts that he has are higher than our thoughts. That's what the Word of God says. And his thoughts are always filled with his word, with his truth, with his holiness, and with his power. And so if we take a look at another passage, Isaiah 55, 8-12. So I found that much quicker. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways, says the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And then, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. So God has got thoughts, okay? Maybe a very simple thing, but he's got thoughts full of love, full of goodness, kindness. He's, he's wide in his thoughts. We can't measure them. We can never find their ends. And because we are created in his image, he placed his thoughts in us. And we know how the creation story continues, that man separated from the living God. But also, man that separates from God. After the fall, he has to live in a fallen creation. He still remains the image of God, right? He still has eyes and ears 
and hands and thoughts. He's still a symbol, a sign for the creativity of God. And he still has thoughts. We are capable of thinking, okay? The Bible speaks about the mind or the thoughts of the heart. And this mind, these thoughts, is much more than just a secret thing. And sometimes we think they are, oh, just top secret. Nobody knows my thoughts. My thoughts belong to me. No. Thoughts are my thoughts are like a, a steering system, I command control in my life. That's the very place that determines my decisions. And this command control actually is influenced by various different things. There are many people who are influenced in their thoughts very much by, for instance, their past, by the way if they've been raised. And then we have to know what is our past? How have we been raised? What are our experiences? And because the experience has been this and this, I keep thinking this and this way. And people speak about the horizon of my experiences. And if we don't have new experience, we always keep thinking our limited horizon. Or maybe my thoughts might be captured by the things that are not. Negative things, worries, cares, fears. And we know that this has results and reverberations, consequences for our entire life. Emotions, our feelings, and what we do. But the Word of God actually says that even in our thoughts, something has turned out badly. God has placed everything in us, His creativity, His holiness, everything that is present in the mind of God, the fullness of His God, of His, His Word, that's what He placed in us. But somehow it has turned out bad. I don't know. Every one of us has made that experience. When something turns bad, for instance, if milk turns bad and you don't realize, and then you put it into your coffee, uh, have you ever had some coffee with milk that had gone off? It tastes horrible. Especially if you've got this milk in, in a coffee maker and you want a cappuccino with froth and, uh, you know, with bad milk, and you just we're looking forward to a beautiful cappuccino latte from that coffee maker and then you have that froth and you drink and ugh, the milk has gone off. It's really terrible. You know, can you think about that? I just switched on the movies in your mind. So if something's gone off, it's really bad. Whether it's really off or just a little off, it's, if it's off, it's off. And so I don't really enjoy... Uh, using uh, cream for my hand hand cream others like it but at some point I was there and I had to use some cream and then I had some cream for my hands and I like put it on and then I think wow it smells terrible like rotten eggs so that cream actually had gone off it was it was disgusting my entire body was smelling of rotten eggs it was terrible and actually, so if something has gone off, you can't use it anymore. It is irreversible. You can't make it good again. Have you ever tried turning milk that's gone off back on? You know, in a not gone off state? Then you can't do that. 
And so this is what we read in Genesis 6 verse 4. All of man's desire, all of man's heart is bad. So man who's separated from God, he has received everything from God, he's received everything, but it's all with a negative sign. He's caught up in a, under a dark cloud. All of his imagination, all of his intelligence. The word of God says there's nothing good in the heart of man. We try and invest that, we try and use that. But Reinhard Bonke says there's a huge minus in front of all of your thoughts and mind. And we can't possibly change that ourselves. And that's why our minds are so full of negative things. Let, let's be really honest about this. You know, the just wait, the bad things are still coming, this won't work and that won't. If we were only to think as many positive things as we think negative things, we'd be wonderful people. Oh, some pain here, something goes off wrong there, oh, this will be a tragedy, this won't work there, there's some pain there, oh, uh, who knows what will happen now, and so on. Oh, he looks at me in a wrong way. Well, actually, that person doesn't want anything, but oh, I'm sure he's got negative thoughts. Our minds are filled with negative thoughts. Someone said once that when I wake up in the morning, it's like a Russian roulette. You know, there's all of these thoughts in, in the uh, revolver that is filled with thoughts and one negative thoughts. And if I wake up with that thought in the morning, it will determine my entire day. And that's really true. So, actually, we have a very one-sided view. Sometimes, for instance, we think that we cannot control our thoughts. So, you know, like a horse, maybe. Well, I don't enjoy horse riding, you know. And I would like to share the trauma of my life with you. Well, it wasn't a trauma, but it was my first experience with a horse. You know, we went with uh, the um, we went with the school on an outing, and I had my friend here with me, um, and uh, he, my friend, he knew how to how to ride, and he went on really nicely, and I thought, okay, great, I'll follow him, and so he went ahead, and I was on that horse, and my legs were dangling right and left of the horse, and actually this stupid horse, he did whatever he wanted with me. And you know, he just stopped and started eating and I could do whatever I wanted. I could wanted to kick him and we didn't go on and then he went uh, ambling a few uh, paces and he stopped again and my friend had galloped on ahead and my uh, horse then just dashed after it and then he stopped again. I could do whatever I wanted but this horse did with me whatever it pleased. And this is how we think our thoughts are. You know, my thoughts do with me whatever they please. Oh, there's evil thoughts, I have to think them. And then there's a car uh, carousel in my thoughts and I have to do that. And then there's a dark wave and maybe a wave of happiness. And But that's actually not true. You know, in the beginning of my life as a Christian, I had a friend with hair down to there. And I was deeply impressed with him, and his name was Abel. Well, he probably had Christian parents. And he had uh, a way how to impress young girls. And his way was that he, he had deep, deep thoughts, and then he kept staring out of the window for a long time with his long hair, and he had deep, deep thoughts. 
He never was able to tell what the thoughts were, but they were very, very deep. And so that was the same thing for my thoughts. They were like a, a, car a carousel turning round and round and round. And when Charlotte and I came together, Charlotte kept asking me, tell me what you think. And I told her, I can't tell you, you know. We were sitting together in a car, you know, sometimes young couples sit together in a car, and we were there. Then Charlotte said, I won't leave this car until you've told me what you think. And well, we sat there for 30 minutes, or for an hour, and then I thought, oh, I have to say what I think, but I don't know what. And I wanted to present her a nice, finished, deep, packaged, glorious package of thoughts. But that actually didn't work. And so I just told her some really embarrassing whatever, and she was actually quite happy. She said, all right. So our thoughts are a control system within us. And of course, the thoughts are free, nobody can guess them, there's a song about this. But actually, we have to take a look what the Word of God says about our thoughts. And first of all, did you know that your thoughts are not just for yourself, but in the invisible world, your thoughts are actually known? Yes. So somebody was scared here. Somebody said, oops. Well, you can really say that. So God knows your thoughts from afar. The heavenly world knows your thoughts. They're like an open book. There used to be evangelists who then said, you know, when they were evangelizing, just imagine there was a screen behind you and all of your thoughts were written on the screen. And I thought, yeah, well, that's true. Maybe not here, but in heaven. Psalm 94, verse 11. The Lord knows the thoughts of man. And even more, Matthew 9, verse 4. You see that about Jesus. But when Jesus saw their thoughts, he said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? And it even goes that far. The supernatural world knows our thoughts. And it's not just the heavenly world, but also darkness. And that's why it's so important what's going on in our thoughts, in order there won't be any foothold for the devil. The heart produces uh, evil thoughts, Matthew 15, 19 and 20. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Sometimes these thoughts are changing into voices. But I've got good news for you. The message is you are in control over your thoughts. And now last Wednesday, we on Tuesday, we had a family cell group and we did a little test there and we'll do that now as well. So, and I'll repeat that like I did it on Tuesday. Well, actually, it was on Wednesday for the leaders meeting. Just uh, think of the food you've prepared for tonight. Maybe a steak or a sausage or good cut of meat or potato salad or glorious soup, whatever you have prepared. So who of you thought of that right now? Just show me your hand. Who of you thought of that? Think of your fridge. Do you have a fridge? 
So think of your fridge. You look into it and you see yogurt, maybe butter, maybe a bit pale vegetable, old potatoes. I don't know. Who have you thought of their fridge right now? Yeah, well, we can do that, right? So you can actually guide your thoughts. You can also direct your thoughts to unpleasant things, but sometimes we don't want to do that. Think of your most evil teacher. No, we don't want to do that. No, we don't want to do that. But we can direct our thoughts. So Romans 12, 12 verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewal of your mind. All right. So I can renew something. I don't need to stay the way I am. I can change it. So you can test what is the will of God, the good and pleasant and godly things. And so there is something that I can use to say, hey, what is the will of God? Because there's so many people who say they don't know what the will of God is. We pray for hours and days, and it's good to pray, but it's important that your mind is renewed and what's so important you have control over your thoughts and the second thing is or third and fourth I don't know which point we've reached but our thoughts have effects on every area of our lives did you know that? So our thoughts are not neutral, but they have effects. Sometimes you can even tell a person's thoughts on their face. Have you ever seen a really bitter person? Someone who is captive in their bitterness is really terrible. And you can even tell it by looking at them. So it has effects. And these thoughts they solidify more and more and at some point we can't shake them off anymore and these are the areas where the devil can truly entrench himself and then we start believing things that are not true and these things become reality at some point and the bible says that strongholds the bible calls that strongholds in second corinthians 10 verse 4 and so I'm not actually a fan of the good news translation but I think it says that really well so let me read 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 according to the good news translation and there it says the weapons in this fight are not the ones of a weak person on the contrary I've got powerful weapons of God with them I can tear down strongholds in people's thoughts and I tear down any thought that is resisting the true knowledge of God and I take captive every thought that stands up against God and I make it obedient to Christ so that's actually quite a good translation so I've got a powerful weapon here. We've got a powerful weapon. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, you've got a powerful weapon. And we know what this powerful weapon is. Because sometimes we think that this powerful weapon is reality. But actually, I gave you my testimony of unbelief in the face of the doctor. That's not the powerful weapon. The powerful weapon is the Word of God. The Word of God that we have to take hold of. And sometimes we actually debate with the devil in our thoughts. In our thoughts we've got a real merry-go-round or a battleground and we have this and that argument and we 
Jesus didn't do that. In Luke 4, 1 to 13, we read Jesus. He was in the desert. The Spirit led him into the desert. And then the devil turns up as the accuser, as the one who wants to lead him astray and tempt him. But we know what Jesus does. He doesn't debate with the devil, but he speaks the word of God. The weapon is the word of God, not just the word you think or the word you read, but the word of God that comes from your mouth and that you speak. That's the key. Right? So Jesus confronts the devil three times with the word of God. And then we read, the devil left him. And then the angels served him. And then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So my friends, if we can change something and renew something, and the Lord shows us that to how to do that, why don't we do it? Because we believe the lie about our thoughts. Because we think that this was like a ghost coming and going. Is that true? And I want to tell you, renewal, change is possible. Healing is possible. The Lord wants to work miracles, no question. But it always begins by us changing our thoughts, the way we think. There are so many thoughts, and we know that. And usually they have a negative sign, the impossible thoughts, the, the thoughts of lack and need, the seeds of lack in us. How many things are we not actually doing because we think too low of ourselves? Too small, too weak, too whatever, just too little. That's a lie. The Word of God says you are a child of God, a child of the living God. You're a daughter of the living God. I've given you everything. But we become what our th thoughts determine us to be. Oh, I'm lonely. Loneliness. You know, last Sunday I spoke on that loneliness. Nobody's standing with me. Nobody helps me. Thoughts, oh, I don't find a wife, a husband. I don't get this or that or the other. Thoughts of lack and need. I mean, you know your own thoughts, right? I don't have to tell you. Fears, cares, worries. And in the Word of God says that a man follows the path that his thoughts prescribe. So a man follows the path that his thoughts prescribe. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so I'm not speaking about the po uh, power of positive thought, but I'm speaking about the power of the Word of God. I'm talking about the Word of God that has power and authority. So what would happen if your spirit, your mind, we're filled with the Word of God. If we knew that we don't have to think certain thoughts, you have authority over these things. And when we had this one counseling session, it was about fear. Somehow we reached a point that we said, wow, these thoughts that are really imposing on you, taking you captive, write them down. There weren't more than 10. They kept repeating themselves all the time. And usually that's the case, you know. Usually it's just five or 10 favorite thoughts of the devil. There's not that many. 10, 10 different thoughts. And so write it down, da, da, da. And then we confess this. And then we write down the word of God against it. And then we see that how these will take care of these thoughts that they will not keep hold of you anymore. And we can do that first step is, of course, by spending time with Jesus. Well, of course. 
This morning we had a service that was glorious in Heidelberg. There was such a hunger for the living God. And while I was speaking, the Holy Spirit came and people were starting to weep. And we ministered to them and it was about a burning heart for Jesus. And so that's what the Lord has for us. He wants our hearts to burn. And the first thing is, of course, coming to him. Draw close to God, and then I will draw close to you. And the second thing is, how can you draw cl close to him? You can only draw close to him if you've got Jesus in your life. Really, Jesus. He is the center of everything. Yeshua. And I'm not talking about a half-hearted Jesus, but the one Jesus who is Lord of all. There is no other Jesus. The Jesus who is Lord of our lives. Jesus. He speaks but one word. Jesus. Who goes ahead of us and we follow him. I am his follower. Jesus who went to the cross. Not just for our sin and guilt, but so we could get reconciled, so we could be healed. So we are no longer the ones who have to think certain thoughts. He had the crown of thorns on his head because he bore the thoughts of you and me. And so we need to change that sign because an unredeemed person has no means against the evil thoughts of his heart. He can try as much as he wants, as I told you last Sunday with the coal that you try and wash and clean, and the more you, you try, the blacker you get. No, you have to put this coal into the fire. It needs to be transformed. It needs to be close to Jesus. So we need to change those signs from minus to plus. And we can never come to him with a half-heartedness, but we come with, with all of our thoughts. We lay down our entire lives before him. And the third point is reading the word of God, studying. And this morning I spoke about this. When I was a young Christian, I was so glad that they taught me immediately, read the Bible. If you're a young believer, no day when you don't read in the Bible. I didn't understand anything about this, but I had a Good News Bible, tiny little one, a Good News Bible, and I read in it. And I underline things, and people recommended start with the Gospel of John. Okay, I did that, and question mark, question mark. And at some point, I said, you have to discuss about this. But the Word of God actually changed you. So the Word of God has power. The Word of God judges the hearts and attitudes. It's a seed that you take in. And the more I read, I even started as a teenager when I was 16, 17. It was, I never stopped reading. I am so glad for all those who recommended to me. Sometimes we need, you know, advice and admonishment by our brothers and sisters. Don't stop reading. Because if you stop reading the Bible, you'll starve. I didn't want to starve, I wanted more. And I started reading, reading, reading. And the more I read, the more happened actually in my spirit. And so the Word of God says, I meditate on the Word of God day and night. So you don't have to become a Bible teacher, but you need to fill your mind, your hearts with the Word of God. You need to be permeated. And you need a 
Co-Pilot. Also, nun gut, also ich habe jetzt And so I've got a very living, living example in my family now with a pilot and co-pilot. You know who that is. But what am I talking about? Don't stay alone with your thoughts. And that's the big danger because we are caught up in our thoughts. Oh, this is what the Lord says. But that's not how it works. You know, the word of God speaks about us living in transparency, living in the light. That's why it's so important to share with others. So when we share in the cell groups, it's not about I did this, this and that, but what's going on in me? Every airplane that has no co-pilot, no second pilot, even the best uh, steering system that the airplane might have is still endangered because you need a second pilot. And also the word of God says is that by the word of a second witness something is established. So I'm always suspicious when somebody says, oh, I've heard from the Lord and I'll do it, even though everybody else sees it differently. It's so important to have leaders. Don't remain by yourself with your thoughts. Come into the light. And then we start sharing. So if the Lord were to stand in front of you and say, oh, Claudia, um, we, we start trading. You know, the Lord stands in front of you and says, Claudia, there are some thoughts that I would like to trade with you, you know. So the Lord is standing in front of you and says, come on, let's trade. Give me your fears, give me your cares and worries, give me your non-expectation, your non-expectation for your future, Give me your ideas about old age, nothing won't work anymore. Give me your ideas, your frustration about your youth, that you won't find a job. Give me, give me all of those frustrations. Give me everything. And maybe you don't have that, but I know these thoughts. Maybe you also know them. And the Lord says, come on, let's trade. Because we know that we cannot be controlled by these things, right? You can determine what you think, and you can determine what you won't think. And so let's take a look at two more words in closing. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. So put off the old man with all your former life that is destroyed by their deceitful desires. And then let's look at 24. And put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And now verse 23 tells us the secret of how this can be done. This is how it's done. To be made new in the attitude of your mind. So be renewed in your spirit and your mind. So be changed, be transformed. So my friends, that's a key for new life and for the miracles that you can receive in your life. And what it actually means is put on new life like you put on new clothes and let's follow Jesus and if we do that still with our old clothes 
of our fallen life, the old clothes of our fallen old life that we used to live without Jesus. So the old thoughts. So it says, be separated from your old thoughts and put on the new dress. These thoughts can have no power over you and maybe there's so much of darkness that has found a foothold in you that it actually takes a practical step for you to separate from that saying no I no longer maybe want to think these thoughts maybe thoughts of your past maybe thoughts how you've been raised maybe thoughts that your father or mother thought maybe thoughts that entered your life somehow by experiences that you had but you can trade them put off those old clothes maybe thoughts about how to follow Jesus how to live as a Christian that being a Christian means to reach a certain standard that you can't possibly reach that's also a lie. Maybe for you, being a Christian means to lead a holy and, and uh, a holy life that which has not been placed in your cradle. But that's not true. You don't have to be holy. You just have to come and put off, take off your old clothes, separate from those old thoughts. And in closing, let's take a look at Hebrews because that's kind of the test whether we actually have taken off those old clothes. The test is found in the letter of Hebrews. Hebrews 4, verse 3. And we know that word. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet, so here those who believe enter the rest. So once I've given my old clothes to him and I've put on the new clothes, my, when my thoughts are filled by his word, by his presence, when I have authority, when I can resist, then something happens in me and I can trust. So trust is the very foundation of following him, trusting the Heavenly Father. And trust produces peace. Because the very cause of fears and stress and worries and cares and being driven and always doubting, am I loved or not loved? Am I lowly or not? Am I enough or not? All of these thoughts, the foundation is that I cannot trust. It's just old clothes. And the Lord says, give them to me. And so put on the new clothes of faith. I trust him. He's the Father in heaven. He's the one who loves me. And now this brings us back to Thomas. The unbelieving Thomas. Full of dark thoughts. He's sitting there and thinks, why wasn't I there the first time? And so he's really upset with all the disciples because the happy, the more happy they are, the more upset he is, the more they dance, the more angry he is, and nobody sees me how badly I'm doing. Yes, God sees you and he loves you, and he has never stopped loving you. And so he saw Thomas. Thomas was there in his strongholds, in the stronghold of his mind, in his path his thought palace and he was captive there 
And Jesus saw him. And Jesus sees you. That's the good news. Jesus didn't go up to Tom, Thomas and bang on his door and say, Hey, Thomas, come on, what, what are you thinking? You are just doing so badly. You are having a negative effect on everybody else. He didn't do that. But you see Jesus coming after eight days and his disciples were there and they were talking about all the glory and how wonderful it was and everyone was really excited and Thomas was really uptight. And then when the doors were locked, Jesus came and he simply goes through the door. He just comes and he says, peace be with you. There is this rest, this peace, peace be with you. And then he comes to Thomas and says, Thomas, I also come into your spirit, into your thoughts. And maybe you're also captive somehow like Thomas in your thoughts, in your stronghold. And Jesus comes in. Jesus comes into your life. He's interested in you. He doesn't care what's inside. He went to the cross so he would be able to give new peace and joy into your spirit, new trust, new rest in God, even in all the battles that you're in. And then he says, come, put your finger here, see my hands. And then he says to Thomas, come on, you don't have to live that way. We, we still do it, come on. Yes, see my hands, my side, everything. And Jesus advances another mile towards him. And then Thomas says, my Lord and my God. I don't know how you are here, but maybe we should have a time of prayer together. And in that time of prayer, I first of all would like to call you to Jesus. I don't know how you've been raised in a church, in a free church, or humanistic way. I don't care. Jesus is the same God, and he still loves you. But what's important is that we welcome him. And he has actually determined your thoughts not to think anything negative or lowly, but or not to be filled with cares and worries and problems. Your thoughts are much too precious. Your thoughts, your mind is to reflect his wideness, his creativity, his faith, his word, everything connected with him. And maybe you're here and you say, hey, I would like to trade. Trade my thoughts. And these thoughts, I surrender them to the living God. Maybe you're here and you say, hey, I no longer want to keep living with these thoughts. I want to take off those old clothes. I don't want to live with that lie any longer, that they actually rule my life. So you know your own thoughts, and God knows them. I want to trade my thoughts. So let's all stand together, and then we'll pray. You've heard the word of God. It resounded in your heart. God spoke to you. And then we'll pray together. We'll also pray for the sick. And we'll pray for those who have maybe given up on themselves. But I want to tell you, you are beloved of the living God. And he has created your thoughts and your mind. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And they are the thoughts of his love and his goodness. 